0: Good morning. How are you? Good, good. And how was your Thanksgiving? Oh, did you have your Thanksgiving dinner? No, yet? we're having it today.
1: We're gonna be. Uh, I'm gonna be uh, after the show. There, I'm gonna start on the turkey and everything. And um, yeah, we're doing it today. My yeah, table's for from university, so it's kind of uh, gonna be a nice thanks- Thanksgiving.
0: Yeah, we just had my mom over, me and Sheldon and my mom, and it was nice. But I don't know. There's something about that smell of turkey. <laughs> I don't know. It's so. It's so comforting such a nice smell in the house yeah it's the,
1: the smell of uh of uh harvest
0: like yeah, you know it's all it's the just veggies and the turkey and all that jazz to yeah me, to me it just means christmas is around the corner oh there you go yeah <laughs> hey
1: i i gotta pat myself on the back i am so so um, proud of myself. You saw all the mess that was behind me last week when I showed yes. you I these these office partitions and everything. Well, yesterday I got up and I said, "Okay, there is no way." Like I dismantled my main desk, so I had no mm-hmm. choice. I had to, you know, I had to do something because yeah. I wouldn't have a desk to to do this this morning. Yeah. So, um, so I got to it and and oh my gosh, I got it all together. And all of it. All of it. My boys helped me a little bit, and um, yeah, I'm like, well, all of it. Okay, I still have little bits and pieces to do here and there, but uh, yeah, so I did it. I did it. All by Good. My Good. Uh, Good. Yeah. I have yeah. a nice little uh, cubicle, 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 uh, workspace here. Right workspace that you can go and, and work on. Anyways, um, I don't want to take too much time chatting this morning. We have a big show. We have lots on and uh it's a very important show so uh we invite you we have uh, some people running for council today we have um right now backstage sitting is uh, ryan martel maurice dupel elaine mcdonald sarah good and stephen robinson that so was it. All, uh, backstage. So prepare your questions. If you have anything to ask, we'll ask them for you. But for now, we'll uh, bring them on one by one. Uh, hold on here. Here we go. Hi, guys.
2: Hello. Morning.
3: Morning.
1: How are you doing?
3: Good, good. Full of turkey.
1: Thanksgiving, yeah, <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Um, so to begin with, uh, we're gonna do a bit uh, like we did last week with uh, some of the other councillors uh, and uh, or some of the other people running for counselors. And uh, we're gonna start with ladies and we're gonna ask you to introduce yourself and uh, tell us who you are and why
4: you are running. So Sarah, we'll start with you. Sure, hi, thank you for having us today. I'm in a bit of an echoey room, I hope I sound okay. You do. Okay, so far. Um, good, good. Uh so a bit about myself. Um I have been working in the nonprofit sector for about the last seven years or so in administration. I'm currently in human resources at the Children's Aid Society. Um I volunteer also on the board of directors for Habitat for Humanity. I have uh, two kids, one of my own, and I also have a stepdaughter. They're both young, one is a toddler and totally unruly. Uh, and the other one is at a su- such a nice age of, of seven years old, which is just the beginning of independence. And it's, it's so cool to watch. So um, yeah, longtime Cornwallite and um, I am eagerly running for council and hoping I can bring some positive change to our community.
1: Perfect, thank you. Elaine, your turn. Well, thank you. I'd like to start by
5: wishing everybody a happy Thanksgiving. And I don't know if any of you have had the experience of having multiple invitations to dinners. (laughs) May may every turkey dinner you're invited to be a good one. So um, I'm a four-term councillor to date and a former teacher. I'm uh, involved in many things in the community. Some of them have great effect at the municipal level, but some are... um, I guess above that level, like the Health Coalition, for example, that I'm very involved in. And uh, I feel that, um, that I think the most important thing about us as counselors, especially with the challenges we've had, I mean, take the long view, if you look at the last 20 years or so, our biggest challenges have been turning our economy around. In fact, reinventing ourselves as an economic force, because uh, we, we've pretty well lost everything by... The, um, the early aughts of this century so and, and I think Carmel has done a great job of that and uh, we've diversified our economy which is probably the most important thing we've done and that's not a done deal that's an ongoing thing and um, I feel that our, the greatest contribution all the councils I've been involved in so far have been maintaining this upward trajectory because it's not easy to do a comeback when you have a meltdown, an economic meltdown, such as, as we had with all our industries leaving. Mm-hmm. But we've done that and um, I'm running to keep that momentum going.
1: Awesome, thank you. Wow. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna go on with Ryan.
2: Okay, yeah, hi guys, um, happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, hope everybody. Nice did.
1: beard, by the way.
2: Thank you, <laughs> I, I try really hard. Well, I resist ears <laughs> to cut it, that's the hardest thing. Um, I had 13 people over yesterday for Thanksgiving. I cooked a really awesome dinner. It was uh, it was good. My kids were down, so pretty happy and thankful. And uh, I don't know. Look, I'm I'm running for council simply because I'd like to see some positive change. I mean, nothing against current council. There's been lots lots of positive things, and we're definitely heading the right direction. But we definitely could you know interject some new blood there and see if you know just a different voice at the council table would be. I don't know. Now's the time and. My personal life, you know, my kids are grown. I feel like I have the time now to do it. It's something I've always wanted. I've been very civic-minded, but uh, I don't have, you know, the volunteering history of some of these people and such. I mean, I, I volunteer with Big Brothers. I do some stuff there, but, uh, yeah, just, uh, I don't know, looking to do positive things.
1: Perfect. Thank you. Stephen.
2: Hi. Yes, Uh,
3: 41-year-old, uh, father of two boys, um, stepfather to three girls, Um, local HVAC salesman. Uh, I'm looking really to realize Cornwall's potential. Um, Lack of real significant growth, whether it be through circumstance we've put ourselves in or just through economic issues uh, we've had no control in. Uh, Cornwall hasn't really grown. Uh, More houses get built, more people leave town. Uh, I want to change Cornwall to be the town that people want to come to and not want to leave and that's my main goal
1: awesome thank you so much uh, okay so we do have questions that are started oh maurice oh, Morris, Morris. sorry i'm so sorry
0: <laughs> Morris.
1: i'm uh, so sorry thank you maurice for bringing me on track there
6: that's all right thank you both for having me this morning and welcome to my fellow candidates and uh happy thanksgiving to everyone out there uh, my name is Morris DuPel, and I've been a city councillor for the past 12 consecutive years, representing you, the residents. Um, I'd like to continue that uh, representation for the next four years by asking for your support in the next election. Um, I People would know me uh, very well from being the owner and operator of the Greenspot restaurant for many years here in Cornwall, which was a family-run uh, business. Uh, For the last 12 years, I've been the HR manager for community living in Glengarry. I'm married to my wife, Karen Tyon. And together, we have three children, our son, Noah, and our twin daughters, Paige and Hannah. Um, I I just, I feel like, yes, change is good. And I'm sure we're going to see some change. And, you know, bringing new blood to the table is a great thing to do. And I'm looking looking forward to working with some of New blood, as you know, uh, council is made up of ten people, and ten people work together. And when you're positive and you work together, things certainly get done. So I welcome the uh, opportunity to serve you for another four years.
1: Awesome! Wow! Thank you so much, Marissa. And I'm so sorry.
6: That's okay. <laughs> I'm
1: multitasking, so I'm kind of like all over the place. No okay, perfect. so I'm going to ask every one of you to try to be try to be brief with the answers to the questions because there's a lot of you and there's going to be a lot of people wanting to ask stuff. So um, I'm going to start with a question from Kathleen Murpa. My question is, where does everyone stand on water meters? So um, I'm not sure. I'm going to proceed with the order I have you on my screen. It might not be the same order you have, but I'm going to go with my display. So uh, Ryan, I'm going to start with you.
2: Okay, we'll, we'll keep it short. Uh, so no, I, I don't support water meters. I mean, obviously, they're a good means for con- uh, cons- potential conservation and monitoring usage, but no, in the current scenario, I don't support water meters.
1: Okay, Maurice?
6: Uh, I do not support water meters. I don't uh, feel that we have a plan in place uh, as to how we're going to pay for the water meters, except for going to the taxpayer's pocket and... Uh, I think there's a lot more discussion that needs to come out of this before we can actually proceed
1: all right Uh, Stephen
3: again I I don't support water meters um I I agree with the principle behind them in in conserving our natural resources uh I I believe there's much more cost effective ways of doing so whether it be high efficiency furnaces or heat pumps um you know low-flow toilets There are other ways, um, you know, I I prefer to give the carrot and not the stick. Uh, We're punishing people by making them choose between their child's bath and the next water bill going up. Um, They disproportionately punish larger families. And in a community that needs people in it to grow and sustain itself, uh, taxing people for having more children is, is something I am steadfastly against.
4: Perfect, thank you, Sarah. Uh, I struggled with this one. I consider myself an environmentalist and a lot of the people who I respect and have spoken to about this who are also environmentalists have spoken of the good of water meters and I support water conservation. I was reading through the Water Conservation Master Plan which obviously talks about the water meters. Um, I'm sure like all of you, I have been bombarded over the last couple of months with questions about the water meters. There does not seem to be... um, any kind of significant level of public buy-in, which I think is something that we need to have for this. I support water conservation. Um, I know we have a rebate right now for um, low flow toilets. Um, I know that in that water conservation plan, they talked about installing a co-digester at the wastewater station. I am absolutely for that. Um, But I think that right now it's such it's an investment that we don't have public backing behind. And I don't know that it's something that as a city we're going to see return on. So at this time, I I feel like I, for those reasons, can't support it.
1: Okay. Thank you. And now Elaine.
5: Hi. Well, I guess it's uh, good that you've got somebody on the other side. I support water (laughs) meters and I do so. I mean, I am a conservationist, but not for conservation reasons, because as a, People have said there are many things we're doing to conserve everything, water among them. But uh, I support it for an economic reason. Currently, the um, ICI sector of the city, that's the industrial commercial sector, is not paying its fair share of the total water bill. The taxpayer is actually subsidizing them. So if we move to water meters, there's going to be a fairer uh, system in place where people will pay actually for the water they use. And that will include our industries as well. The taxpayers won't be supporting them. And it will take a few years to get uh, the system um, in sync. I know 10 years ago in my old house, we actually installed a water meter just to experiment. The city actually was offering it to us at that point to anybody who wanted to have a water meter installed just to, to put it in and monitor your own water use. So it's it's an idea that's been coming into its own. Now, I agree, if people are not in favor of it, then we have to do a better job of selling it. But I think people value fairness as much as they value conservation. And from a fairness point of view, water meters are the way to go.
1: Thank you. Um, okay, the next question is kind of long. <laughs> um, it comes from uh, Seb Allaire. It's for the counselors. Uh, So Maurice and Elaine, DEFCOR presented an extremely vague billion dollar development plan who will be responsible when, who will be responsible when a company demands more money from the city? Will taxpayers have to pay for a billion dollar company to build million dollar rental suites? Would you still support these plans if they don't even pay their laborers' livable wages? and pay uh, many of their employees cash avoiding taxes. So we'll just uh, take this one part of the question. And um, it ties in with something, I had uh, a question about Devcore as well, because it, it's fantastic that people come and invest a lot of money, but I have a question about how it um, impacts the east side um, of Cornwall, is that gonna displace Um, people from the east end and uh, as they build and build because we've seen signs for DEVCOR popping left right and center. So question for you, councillors. So uh, Elaine first, maybe?
5: Okay, well, uh, I just want to say right now, DEVCOR has been here for a few years working in the city. They've bought and uh, renovated a lot of places, including close to me, Brookdale Arms. And I haven't heard any negative reports at all positives from the people who've lived there and who are living in much better apartments than they were when Devcar bought them. So as they've got a track record. So the second thing, uh, the question had to do with uh, them coming to the city for funds. This is a private enterprise. I mean, Nav Center never came to the city for funds and Devcenter is not going to be coming either. I I suppose the city could have bought it if we wanted to invest there, but we didn't. Devcor bought it, and they have a plan. They're going to make money there, and I doubt very much that they will need our help to do it. In fact, they'll be pumping money into the city coffers through their taxes. When it comes to wages, uh, I guess that's the same question for any employer in town. What if somebody doesn't pay fairly? From the track record that Devcor has, I'm... I can only assume that they're paying fairly. Otherwise, we would have had letters to the editor. We would have had scandal reports. We would have had action at the Labour Council and things like that. So uh, I think that's kind of a paper tagger that somebody's bringing up. The same thing would happen to them as to anybody else who chose to pay their people unfairly. And that is it's you just don't succeed as a business if you're exploiting your workers. So I, I think that's. I wish somebody hadn't even brought it because the next thing you know, somebody will hear half of this report and think that they've already done something unfair. Mm. So no, I, I have no fears on that score.
1: Perfect, thank mm-hmm. you, Maurice.
6: Uh, well, I'd like to echo some of uh, my counselor uh, colleague um, comments, so they have been popping up and we have seen them doing some work in town and it's been positive that I've seen. What they presented to us for the NAV Centre was what, most of the question um it, it's on a huge scale it's over many phases uh, you can look through that report and when it would be all said and done it would be it will certainly be a nice feature for us to have here in cornwall as far as funding we don't normally since i've been on council fund any private enterprise except for if we uh if they qualify for one of our grants that we have going or one of the programs that we have through cpec but uh uh, from from a point of view of, of subsidizing a private business, uh, I w- I wouldn't be supporting it, and uh, I know that council up until now have have not done that. But it all goes through our CPEC and through our um, grants that are available. Um, and as far as fair wages, I mean that's uh, an employer issue versus an employee, and uh, I'm I wouldn't weigh in on that because I have no clue as to what Devcor pays their employees.
1: Thank you, Maurice. Okay, um, next question. Uh, Do you think our main street, our downtown is healthy and we have two, right? Um, uh, Do you think it is healthy and successful? And if not, uh, what would you do to change that? So let's start Mm -hmm. about um, the downtown core, um, the Pitt Street downtown core followed by uh, the Le Village. So I'll start with Ryan.
2: Um, I I think it is successful. We're seeing many, many positive signs. I mean, obviously, look, things have come to light the last week where there's been delays with permits and certain businesses want to do some expansions and whatnot. But, I mean, overall, it's been positive. We had a lot of positive events over the summer. Um, I think closing it for traffic for some of the big events is good. The art walk, the night market was super successful. Obviously, we need to probably focus on the Renaissance area, the Louis Lash area, the East End, it's overlooked. I mean, I live in the East End, so I get it. it that I mean, we definitely need a better job there. But I mean, it's not a simple answer, but we're definitely headed in the right direction, mm-hmm. you know, and then big, big developments, like you said, like Devcor, huge positive for the city. Just we got to run the line. We, you know, we're almost running the line of, you know, gentrification for certain people are being pushed out of the city just because of pricing and it's good that there's positive changes. But yeah, we still got to look at and consider everyone. But yeah, specifically the downtown areas are relatively positive and moving in the right direction.
1: Thank you Maurice.
6: Yeah well I certainly think uh, Pitt Street downtown as you can see another investor has, came, has come along there and has done a lot of uh, renovations to the current buildings and bringing them back. Um, I think that our downtown core businesses do an excellent job of working together and uh, have, you know establishing partnerships that uh, make the downtown core, uh, that much more inviting I think that there's uh, and we still need to continue to support them uh, moving forward for sure um, when it comes to le village it's always been a struggle uh, for the 12 years that I've been on council there's a lot of property standards issues that um, don't get addressed um, as quickly as they should uh, I my second term of council we established the property standards advisory committee and I was part of that and I think that we need to go back that committee has now dissolved and i think we need to go back and look at bringing that back but bringing it back to the fact that you know the landlords or the owners of buildings who are not upkeeping them or having property standards issue that we need to enforce those people we need to enforce the bylaw on those individuals and not not do a blanket statement across the board because there's lots of business owners and homeowners that keep their homes lovely. So, I mean, we shouldn't be penalizing everybody at the same time. But I think that Le Village, we definitely need to um, lend some more support there and uh, figure ways to uh, beautify that area.
1: Thank you. Steven.
3: Uh, I I believe that there are some success stories in in the downtown core. However, I I don't necessarily uh, want to call the downtown core success a success story in and of itself whether it's um, these issues around permits uh, and and, being forced to go to court um, uh, to just the occupancy rate and the turnover rate uh, more accurately. Um, There are far too many businesses that when you go to patronize them for the second or third time, they're not there anymore. Um, The downtown core has uh, a less than stellar track record when it comes to holding on to businesses. We need uh, an in-depth study. Uh, Talk to these people and find out why they're struggling, what we can do to help them. Um, You know, we we make it look really pretty where there's tons of flowers and new lampposts and everything else. I I walk my dog down that street every day down Montreal Road. Looks great. And every other week I'll notice XYZ store isn't there anymore. Um, So it can be successful. It has been successful. The system in general makes some winners, but unfortunately has some losers in it as well. And we need to lower that that number of losers to keep more business.
4: Thank you. Sarah. Um, I'm a little bit biased because I, I live downtown, downtown proper. And, um, I've, I've lived here most of my life since I was in high school, and I've seen huge changes that have happened in the downtown core. And obviously we've had the construction happening at Pitt and Second, I say construction, there's the lack of construction, <laughs> a construction zone right on the corner that has been a bit of an eyesore for like 15 years. Um, and that is finally almost coming to fruition. If you look at Pitt Street between first and second. I. I was so terrified two years ago when i saw Crush lane closing and i saw happy popcorn moving and i'm like oh no our downtown is just disintegrating and what ended up happening was not that at all happy popcorn upgraded their space spicy pearl moved off of first street onto Pitt street into a bigger location um you know we've got Tilly's on the corner we've got you know carrots and dates that just opened um so to me as someone who lives downtown and Um, I'm down here all of the time. I see a lot of life and a lot of energy in the businesses that are there. And I think throughout the pandemic, um, we've seen that people are very loyal uh, and they've gone out of their way to shop local, even when it's been absolutely entirely inconvenient. Like you have to order online and then park outside and pick it up at the door. But people have been doing that because they want to see our local businesses thriving. Um, We've got room for improvement for sure and if you go up just one short block, um, there are a lot of empty storefronts and um, I don't know if that's a matter of just, you know, repopulating that area. I, I think I think we need to have some serious renovations done it's sad to hear that report it was sad to hear read that ctv article about um what's been going on with the permits and uh rothmar has been responsible for a lot of the renovations that have been happening downtown on Pitt street and surrounding areas so it's really sad to see that that's been held back when when it's visible the improvements and you can see people that are they're enjoying downtown in terms of le village i i do not know the answer of what will bring more success to that area because as stephen was saying there has been, you know, there are planter boxes. It looks beautiful. If you look on the corner of um, Marlborough and Montreal Road, we've got this lovely seating area with these beautiful pieces of art that, you know, celebrate our history and the culture in Cornwall. And unfortunately, there are a lot of empty storefronts. One of the uh, suggestions that I heard coming up uh, since since this uh, campaign was something simple like bringing the... Um, sorry, bringing, what do you call it, the Santa Claus Parade, rerouting it from 2nd Street onto Montreal Road where people are, where businesses are so that those businesses can profit from more traffic downtown and more pedestrian traffic. So I think we see that businesses do better when there's more pedestrian traffic, whatever we can do to drive that into all of our areas and just kind of infiltrate new life and new business, I think will be helpful. Um, I think we're doing well, but it's not a steady upward stream. We have to keep working to make sure that we're we're on an upward trajectory. Perfect. Thank you. And Elaine.
5: And I'll try to be brief and not repeat because uh, I think some pretty great things have been said here. But one thing I want to say to Maurice Tappel, you said you were part of the property standards bylaw. If I recall Maurice, you led it, you drove that through council. So you're uh, shorting yourself on credit there that's justly due to you because that was a wonderful uh, initiative on the city's part. And if it's flagged, I trust you'll keep it going too. So um, everything about the downtown is, is so great because so many small communities like, you know, small cities, 50,000 population range have hollowed out downtowns. We don't, I'm thrilled. But Le village is a whole different story. But I'll say something curious about the downtowns. I used to live downtown and I'd often walk Pitt Street with my husband and often walk Montreal Road and Pitt Street tends to shut down at five Mm o'clock. Montreal Road is awake all evening long. Like no matter how dark it is, you get people walking that street. And I think it's because there are a lot of people living in apartments over businesses down there. So there's a core vibrancy that we can't deny about Montreal Road. But on the other hand, There's also, I think, a plethora of absentee landlords on the CPEG committee and I'm sure property standards too. We almost, you know, we beg people, absentee landlords to take our grant opportunities and fix up the storefronts, make it rentable and that sort of thing. We don't get takers. It's almost as though there are some people who are quite happy. I mean, obviously don't live in Cornwall, but they've got investments down there. What they're waiting for, I don't know. But believe me, the city has all along been ready to invest the way that we've invested in the Pitt Street businesses. I, I don't know why there hasn't been the uptake. But you know, I met somebody once who was very critical of the city's performance in the East End. And I got pretty defensive because I know what the city's been trying to do, but you can't force somebody to do what they don't want to do with their property. So anyway, we took a walk. And you know, this person pointed out this property, that and every one of them I said, that's private property. Like we can't just take it over and go in and raise that house and start something else there. Private property, private property. So we bump heads against that a lot down there that we don't in Pitt Street. May that change. And may the property standards work keep going. Thanks to you, Maurice DePelle. Thank you, you,
1: Elaine. Okay, so on the next question, I'm just gonna paraphrase because it's a long text. Um, Deborah Van Galen asks, I would like to know each council members, well, each person running, I'm assuming, um, their thoughts on the cat crisis in Cornwall. Um, she's heard that only one grant is being given out to the rescues and uh, wonders what would the city do or what could you could the city do to fix this? So we'll go with Ryan.
2: Um, I, I don't know enough about the background to know about the grant details, but clearly we do have obviously a huge feral cat problem. I mean, we're what one of the largest in the country, especially for our size. Um, I mean I, I know what I mean. I just recently took in some cats that are staying in my shed, you know, feeding them and giving them a warm place day. So I mean walk, walk in the laneway here but by my house. So I mean Yeah, it's definitely an issue, but yeah, I'm not sure how to fix it. Obviously, I support anything that we can do. The spay and neuter program is a good thing, but is there not enough adoption of it? I mean, we're definitely trying, but yeah, it's a big, big problem. Um, I don't have a clean answer on that.
1: Okay, Maurice.
6: Uh, Yeah, so definitely it is a huge problem. Uh, Council uh, did work uh, hard on putting together the the new bylaw for the cat uh, problem. Um, it is an ongoing issue. We did give uh, a small amount of funding towards the um, mobile spay and neuter program that came to town and did that um, through the OSPCA, but uh, it's, it's not enough. I mean, we need to look at ways to uh, try and help and support. Uh, we have shelters, uh, a couple of shelters here in town that are doing this all out of pocket um so they're they're just the other day i spoke to a lady who runs one of the shelters and she was at the vet with six uh, cats that they picked up or rescued and it cost her 1100 dollars wow. and uh, they had the bill there to show from the vet um so i mean i don't know if there's a if there's a way that we can promote these rescues through our website uh, through our communications officer to help them uh, raise more donations perhaps uh but the city when we're looking at uh, our outside funding agencies or funding grants, municipal grants. I think uh, they need to be applying. The OSPCA needs to be applying to our outside grants and looking to see what city council can do at that point.
1: Thank you. Uh, Steven.
3: Yes. So uh, it's a a problem that hits home personally for for myself. Um, uh, My girlfriend's family runs the Calico Cat Rescue um, and they are solely responsible for the the saving of hundreds of cats' lives every year. Uh, They adopt them in the most unbelievable conditions, um, so close to death, so many times. Um, Pay out of pocket to have them spayed and neutered. Um, They apply uh, or try to get funding, and and most of the time uh, they don't have the charitable status qualifications yet. So it it falls on private partners. (laughs) Personally, I I bake a couple hundred cookies and then they'll go and stand with other baked goods at the Cornwall square and raise private donations. Um, They are forced to drive these cats into Quebec to get them spayed and neutered there because the local rates are are double and triple um, what they are in, in Quebec through this one vet. Um, they are out-of-pocket, uh, Allison and her team at Calico, they are out-of-pocket five figures yearly, personally out-of-pocket, not to mention they get paid $0 for their efforts. Um, there is a, a fund that uh, Morris mentioned a moment ago. Um, they're basically looking to double that fund, and I believe it's around 10000 now, and the, they're looking to get somewhere around the $20,000 mark, and, and that would be you know spend a dollar today to not spend a hundred dollars tomorrow if we take care of the cats on the street today get them spayed and neutered they don't have 20 kittens in the next two years we need to address it today before it becomes an even bigger problem
4: perfect thank you sarah (laughs) <laughs> um, I absolutely commend the work of organizations like Stephen was mentioning, Calico Cats, and um, I know, you know, Mary Jane Prue is one of the people running again on this platform. Um, and I have to admit, I've been largely ignorant to this issue. I mean, I think, you know, we, we can only focus on so many things, uh, I'm certainly supportive of the city, you know, making greater efforts, I think the spay neuter program is something that is definitely important, you know if we can reduce the population and like Steven said, you know, one or two cats are having 20 and that's happening, you know, a few times a year. Well, it's obviously an exponential growth. So um, the sooner we can get ahead of that and stop it, I think um, it seems to me, you know, without looking at the dollars and cents of it, like a reasonable investment to put money into that kind of prevention element of keeping cats off of the street. um, Do I know the answer to the problem? no, I, I don't, um, but, I, but I would definitely um, be open to considering opening up that fund a little bit more um, so that we can get ahead of the issue. Perfect, thank you. Elaine.
5: An advantage of being the last speaker is that all the good things have been said. So <laughs> I, I, I agree with everything that's been said and I'm sure the city will reevaluate what we're doing. And if it's not enough, then we'll obviously uh, do more or do it harder or whatever. But I think maybe education is the one thing that has not been mentioned and that's important for people who have pets, just to be really responsible about their pets, because whereas a frail cat can have 20 kittens, a whole lot of other kittens too are simply abandoned kittens that were purchased or uh, you know brought into a home at the wrong time and then just let out. So um, definitely we all have to do more, the public and the city to tackle this problem.
1: Perfect, thank you. All right, the next questions come uh, from Ryan Petrinka. In the winter time, I've noticed the sidewalks are the last to get plowed. The for- this forces pedestrians to walk the- on the road. Geez, I can't read today. <laughs> Making it dangerous for pedestrians and motorists. My question is, what can be done to make the city more pedestrian friendly in the winter? We'll start with Ryan.
2: Well, I mean, I don't disagree. It's obviously, it's terrible to walk on the sidewalks in the winter. And then obviously people are forced to walk in the road because it's much easier. And I mean, winter or not, a lot of people, that's their only means of transport. So, I mean, they have to walk I mean, the answer isn't simple because a lot of the, you know, side streets and tertiary streets don't get clean for, you know, 24, 48, 72 hours after a heavy snowfall. So, I mean, other than increasing our our budget for snow removal and putting more, you know, sidewalk machines on the road. There's no other answer than that, that I'm, that I can think of.
1: Okay. Thank you. Maurice.
6: Yeah. So I agree. I mean, I think that our public works, you know, roads department does a, a really good job. And unfortunately when you, that's one of the most phone calls you'll receive as a counselor is that the sidewalk's not cleaned or my roads not cleaned. And when I first got elected, I couldn't understand, but it's done in phases and, that there's a primary roads that get done first and sidewalks and then secondary and so on, so forth. So somebody living in that cul-de-sac, uh, where I am, where I live right now is going to get done probably the last out of all the roads. So it's hard, but Ryan's correct. I mean, unless we were to up that budget, um, to, to put more vehicles on, I think that our city crews do a, a fairly good job, um, when it comes to snow removal, and I I find that even more so in the last little while, like last winter, our downtown cores and all that, where your meters were were cleaned out right away for businesses to have for their customers to have access, and uh, that that has you know instead of people jumping over snow banks to put money in the meters, that was done instantly uh, right after the storm storm starts. But there's many municipal parking lots and and things that need to get done, so. I, the only way that I could see us in doing it quicker than we already do is to have a bigger budget.
1: Thank you. Stephen?
3: Um, yeah, so personally speaking, um, my, my last house was on, on Forestdale Crescent, and after getting stuck twice with my little <laughs> Hyundai Elantra on my own street, um, I had to buy an SUV. So 100% <laughs> uh, uh, see the, the struggles. Uh, I'm a little more um, lenient when it comes to the streets and less lenient when it comes to the sidewalks, in, in my opinion. Uh, I can understand obviously Montreal Road, Second Street, Brookdale Avenue getting first attention over Forestdale. You know, you, you shouldn't be driving 100 miles an hour down uh, a little cul-de-sac anyway. But the sidewalks, um, we are an aging community, and to force these these folks. Off of the sidewalks and into the, the streets. Uh, how nobody has died as a result of this already is a miracle. We need to reprioritize the conditioning of our sidewalks and salt them properly. I myself thought I broke my hip on my own sidewalk walking the dog last spring because, sure, the, the, the snow plow guy went by two days later, but that had, had a nice level of ice pack snow um i'm 40 and i was able to get back up eventually uh my 66 year old mother probably wouldn't have been able to do so my 90 year old neighbor that would have been a death sentence for her i understand the priority given to these streets we need somehow to reevaluate the the lack of priority the sidewalks are given uh folks in wheelchairs walkers I, I mean, it, it's a shame, and we've we've been lucky this far that no one has been more seriously injured or or killed as a result of those.
4: Thank you. All right, Sarah. Yeah, I absolutely agree in terms of prioritizing sidewalks and pedestrian pathways. I mean, it, it's an accessibility issue, and you know, aging population is one aspect to it, but anyone with limited mobility, and we have a lot of people in Cornwall who don't drive, believe it or not, um, who rely on getting around on foot, um, especially in the winter. And it's a safety concern when we're forcing people onto the roads. So if we're going to kind of walk the walk and not just talk the talk about you know, uh, moving forward with active transportation, and, and we're going to do that all year long, um, we really do need to make sure that our sidewalks are safe. And, and of course, like there's, there's budgetary constraints on everything and, uh, and we might have to reevaluate them. Uh, maybe we do need more um, of the machines that are intended to clean the sidewalks and salting that's being prioritized as well, but we don't want to make it so that our, our sidewalks are hazardous and that we are um, putting our people in unsafe uh, situations.
1: Perfect. Thank you. Elaine. Well, um, this
5: this is a budgetary question, no no question about that, so uh, we can simply increase our budget. But I, I hope, uh, I mean somebody, I forget it was Maurice or Ryan mentioned the fact that it's been better in the last couple of years. One of the good things COVID did for the world was have people out walking more and walking on streets and the city actually increased its complement of sidewalk snow removal machines. And I I know in my area, it made a big difference. And in fact, the city started actually clearing some of the bike paths, which was major because usually in the winter that's not done. But um, this gives me an opportunity to rant about my pet peeve. I walk and I walk the bike path and I walk the sidewalks. It drives me crazy when somebody clears their own personal driveway and blows the snow onto the sidewalk that's just been cleared and forces somebody at that point just to make this five foot, uh, you know, you have to detour. So you go on the road to detour that. That's so thoughtful. So one thing I'm going to drive for, of course, we keep the budget high for removal, but also that we could simply record an address. Believe me, in my neighborhood, I know the addresses by heart that dump their driveway snow onto the sidewalk that people are trying to walk on. And and that just defeats everybody. So I am going to push for a bylaw that, people should get a knock on the door if they do that, and maybe the second or third time they get
1: a, a ticket. There you go. <laughs> um, okay, so the next question is, okay. Um, should councillors have a minimum council meeting attendance of at least 80%? With bigger projects getting worked on, I would think that more meetings should happen. So um, I'm totally foreign to that. I don't know if there's something in place already that says that you have to attend a certain amount of meetings or um, we'll start with Ryan.
2: Um, Yeah, look, I agree 100 percent that you should be attending most of the meetings. Look, it's all public record. We have some counselors with poor attendance records that's out there. I'm not going to comment on that, but yeah, I mean, barring any major event, I mean, I'd be at every meeting and yeah, if there has to be more meetings because there's a lot of stuff ongoing. Yeah, that's fine. And it should be real. Yeah.
1: Okay,
6: Maurice. I know that there's a bylaw that you can't miss three consecutive council meetings. If you're absent for three consecutive council meetings, then there's a, a process that the clerk's department has to take. Um, you know, we, we meet twice a month and then once a month for PAC. Uh, we have two regular council meetings plus the in-camera meetings, uh, and then you have the uh, committees that, you, that you're uh, assigned to. Um, so there is a lot of meetings, but uh, we certainly are not shy to call a special council meeting when a special council meeting needs to be called if we're working on a bigger project. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I know that the, I don't have the, pro, the whole process in front of me, but I know that after three consecutive council meetings, um, there's a, a process that goes through the clerk's department but yes, people should be attending as much as, as, much as they possibly can.
1: Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. Steven?
3: Uh, wow, I, I, I didn't really know that that was a problem. Um, to, to be 80%, you know, my quick math tells me if, if I only attended four out of every five days at my job, I probably wouldn't have to worry about it too long. Um, to not have our elected officials at least to that standard uh is it, laughable we have been entrusted in those who get elected you know have anywhere between four and seven thousand votes four seven thousand people chose to take the time out of their lives to go to the benson center or the mall and, and cast a ballot for them and then to give such little respect that i i don't care about you four to seven thousand people who voted for me to go downtown three times a month and, and make my voice be known. Um, I think it's a complete lack of respect. Uh, I personally, again, don't know if that is a real problem. I, I don't know of any names, um, that are, 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 doing this, but we need to be held to a much higher standard than the folks working fast food who would lose their job if they went every four out of every five shifts, uh, medical exemptions aside, we need to be at every meeting period.
4: Thank you. Sarah. Um, yeah, I definitely agree with maybe there needs to be a reconsideration of what that bylaw is. And if it's, you know, you can't miss three meetings in a row. Otherwise, you know, you get some kind of um, reprimand. Uh, maybe we do need to look at a minimum percentage. And, and like Stephen said, except under exceptional circumstances, I mean, there are health issues, there are family, we are, we are humans too. Um, and I think it's okay sometimes to be sick, you're allowed, um, but if it's becoming a pattern and you're seeing that your counselors are not engaged, they're not doing the work, that's really what we're hired for is to do the job. So um, I am absolutely on board with having minimums, especially if we're seeing it becoming an issue.
1: Perfect, thank you. Elaine. And
5: uh, I agree with everything that's been said. There's no question of the importance of attending the meetings. Yeah. I don't think it's a problem. And um, people have to bear in mind if, if they, are aware of a problem that sometimes I mean being a counselor is not a full-time job and you talk about wanting young blood around the table. Well young blood usually has a day job and if the day job demands interfere with them attending a council meeting that could be a reason why people do miss if they miss. But my experience has been that council table is usually full for every meeting.
1: Perfect thank you so much. Um, okay next question is about development. Um, what should be the next priority for development in your opinion? Seniors, apartments, homelessness reduction, low-income rentals, for example. So I'll start with Ryan.
2: I mean, they're, they're all priorities, right? Because those are all real priorities because they're all touching on people that they're most, you know, essentially vulnerable people. Um, homelessness, a no real touching point. I mean, we definitely got to build a homeless shelter, come with some kind of solution. Um, if it's not building a homeless shelter, working with other community groups that are already t- some something because it's a real issue, and yeah, obviously social housing is real. Um, we got so many people on the waiting list; we gotta somehow prioritize that. Unfortunately, yeah, we're gonna have to throw some money at it and lobby other levels of government to fix that. And then seniors—I mean, clearly um, we're a very senior-heavy uh, city, so yes, um, they're all priorities: one, two, and three.
1: Thank you, Maurice.
6: Yes, thank you for the question. And I agree, they are all major priorities. I mean, I think having affordable and accessible programs for our seniors is is just a must and affordable housing, social housing. um, Again, we have a wait list that's long and we need more units and we need more partnerships with the other levels of government that can get a shovel ready and have us, you know, be able to get funding to do some more social housing units. Um, as chair of the Agape Center Food Bank and, uh, and uh, Soup Kitchen, we, uh, we see homelessness before us like no other. Um, it, has bec- it has become more and more that people are homeless and people are struggling. Your husband and wife that are working a minimum, a minimum wage job with family and with the price of food and gas and a place to live, are not making the next month without coming to our food bank and having, having to get an order. Reluctantly, they don't want to, but they have to. And it's a reality. And we've they've made some changes at Agape Centre where this winter, because so there are so many people out on the street, this winter the kitchen will be open during the day, all day, so that people can come in, have coffee, uh, a muffin or a cookie, warm up. Um, the homelessness has been so present that, They were able to get a grant to have a refrigerator outside so that refrigerator is stocked before the staff leave at the end of the day and then people can access that through the evening and overnight. But it is a problem. It's a great question. And I think it's three priorities that need to really be focused on moving forward.
1: Thank you. Stephen?
3: It's a bit of a cop-out answer, but yeah, to me, it's, it's all a priority. And they're not mutually exclusive and they don't have to happen one by one. Um, low income housing. Um, I mean, first of all, we need to stop fighting with developers who are actually trying to build them. Mm -hmm. Um, standing in the way to the point that we have to go to court to be forced to do the right thing uh, as it's shaping up to be, um, with, with this one private developer, um, we, we need to encourage these places to be built. Nobody, whether it's uh, a senior, uh, 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 a young man or woman running from an abusive situation or just someone down on their luck, the last thing we should be forcing them to do uh, as a city is, is make them wait years for help. Um, when you have reached a certain age and you've paid 40 or 50 years into this city and to be told, well, we'll get a bed for you in about a year, six months, or uh, as a single person uh, losing their job, uh fallen hard time, uh one one bedroom unit, six or seven years, I think was the last time I'd heard for the for the wait time. Inexcusable. And, and yes, uh I, I do see the, the homeless uh issue in general. Um I, I live a block away from uh, the loose caboose uh chip stand and every Wednesday I believe there's a uh, a charitable van that shows up there and it gives food and clothes and just uh, you know um, an, an ear for someone to use and the lineup of people in the last year that I've lived in this community um, I easily say has doubled uh, and I don't see it getting smaller in the future. So priority is helping people. We're not doing enough of that, uh, whether it's seniors or homeless or you know the less fortunate we need to help them all.
4: Thank you. Sarah? Yeah, it's a huge problem and and we can't get in front of it fast enough. Um, We need so many, I think, not just new units, but we need more affordable housing. We need it on all the levels that were mentioned. Um, You know, we've all heard about, of course, the uh, Cumberland Gardens situation where like an entire, I think it was more than 200 units my, I I can't remember the exact number, um, you know, getting evicted all at once. And when you look at those kind of numbers, like that just ripples through our community in a way that we, we can't accept. So I know that that's, you know, a landlord tenant board issue. I understand that, but as a city, I think we have a responsibility in being vocal, um, that, yeah, we want investment in our community, but not at the cost of, of, um, Um, I'm so sorry. Not at the cost of um, basically kicking, you know, all of these families out of their homes and leaving them with nowhere to stay. So we know that uh, the cost of housing has risen terribly over the course of the pandemic. Like we were predicting that this would happen eventually in Cornwall for a long time. We're like, Oh my gosh, housing is so cheap here, you know? Um, And then now it's, it's not, Uh, it, it just isn't. We bought our house last year and it was like, Way, way, way more, probably triple what we would have paid three, four, five years ago easily. Um, and I don't know what we need to do. Obviously, we need to partner with higher levels of government to construct new buildings, but I think we also need to have some kind of retention pa- plan in place because for a long time, there are people who have been living in apartments where they're renting it at well below market. Rates and landlords are, are getting rid of their their homes. They're selling them off because they're, they're making such a profit off of it. So I don't know what we can do as a municipality to encourage those landlords who are providing below market rate housing, um, which is essentially low income to just at least keep that while we work on increasing the stock of social housing that we have. And yeah, supporting places like the Agape and Centre 105 um, that are supporting our most vulnerable, who who need not just shelter, but food and other services as well. So um, as a city, I think we need to be doing everything we can to support existing um, organizations and to be building as much as we can. Thank you. And
1: finally, Elaine.
5: Thank you. Yeah, I I just, uh, I want to Hate to repeat, but I will repeat this. As Stephen said, it's not one of those things. We have to work on all of them. And then, as Maurice said, mentioning the Agape Center, hats off to the many charitable organizations who do so much uh, for our city. Now, as far as what the city can do, the city can do as much as the taxpayers will allow, which means we have to put pressure on upper levels of government to come to us with the big dollars that we can invest in housing. And then of course the taxpayer picks up the eventual subsidy that goes on beyond that. But uh, when you hear of two people working and accessing a food bank, I wanna hear more about a living wage. I wanna hear more about pressure on employers. If you have people working for you and they can't buy groceries with, with work they're doing, then maybe the wage has to be looked at. So frankly, uh, that's one aspect of this problem that hasn't been referenced. And I think it's one of the many solutions we have to keep in mind. We have to make sure the whole system is fair. And, And people say, well, I can't afford to pay people more, I'll go out of business. Well, if you can't afford to pay your people to do the work for you that needs to be done, then maybe you weren't ready to go into business. Maybe it isn't a profitable business, go into a different one somehow build some fairness into your system so you're not exploiting the people who are working for you. Because if two people in a family are working and have to access a food bank, the problem isn't them, the problem isn't the city. There's another aspect of the problem. And I think we all have to be vocal about the uh, struggle to ensure that our city is one that not just has lower rent housing as people like to say, let's say we also are a city that pays a fair wage Thank you.
1: Thank you. I'm going to ask one last quick question. So since we're on the topic of uh, housing, um, what would you think is more important uh, using the infrastructure and the buildings that we have right now and converting them to low income or building more? Ryan.
2: Obviously, if there's any buildings that are available, And we can convert to social housing. It makes more sense. I mean, as long as it's financially viable, because most of these renovations should come under slightly under budget, a new brand new reno and the timeline should be a lot quicker. I mean, that being said, it's not always that simplistic. It depends on the building, right? We run that scenario when, you know, bought the building, at the art center, things become more complicated as you start renovating older buildings,
6: but we should definitely look at it if it's an option. Sure. Thank
1: you, Maurice.
6: I think uh, using our available inventory that we have is the way to go, uh, as Ryan said, as long as it's financially feasible. Um, but I would think that, uh, you know, we need to gather the list of uh, of what uh, buildings that we do have available to us, and then be able to, as I said earlier, put par- uh, partnerships with the other levels of government and find out which pri- prioritize the buildings we have. And what you know, have the study done as to what the, the, how many units they could house and so on and so forth. But uh, we definitely, uh, I would be in favor of using the existing buildings if it's, you know, the costs were in line versus new.
1: Thank you. Stephen.
3: As Ryan, I'm sure can attest in his electrical field, myself and HVAC, it's really dependent upon the the property, um, whether or not it's more financially responsible to to do something with what's there versus new. There's plenty of homes I could put in the state of the art HVAC system without breaking a sweat and there's other homes, you know, good luck, it's never going to work. Um, We need to do a cost benefit analysis and let the numbers speak for themselves. If it makes sense to use 123 Main Street for low income housing, do it. If it makes more sense to find a, a field somewhere and break ground from new, do it uh, my gut tells me though it's probably a hybrid of both uh, i don't think there's enough buildings <laughs> that exist currently in this town to support what we need this town to be so we can't limit ourselves to a or b it's got to be both
0: thank you and sarah
2: you're on mute. she's
4: muted herself
2: but she's saying good stuff
4: sorry i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> I have lingering symptoms of COVID, so I just, so that you're not hearing me cough throughout this whole interview.
1: Yeah, you had a blank before, and I, I experienced those so many times, I refer <laughs> to the COVID moments. Yeah,
4: I know, oh my gosh, it's a it's a different kind of thing, but in any case, I'm okay, I'm okay. Um, I think it is on a case-by-case basis, like, both, you know, Ryan and Stephen and, and Morris were saying, you know, you, you don't know a building until you get into it and you look at it. And I think, you know, there are professionals that can go through and, and, and give at a pretty, you know, without opening up walls, say, this looks like it's got some good structure and good bones, and this could be converted, you know, with minimal, uh, um, work. By all means, if the structure's there and we can go ahead and do it, I think we do have places like that. I know some of our old schools. um, One of the things that I want to make sure is when we're um, constructing some of these new residences, new low income, that we're looking at multi-use also, that we're not um, isolating them from services. And, um, you know, I think that's something that we're like, we need more housing, but we also need to ensure that there are, you know, places for them to get food and other goods that are within a reasonable proximity. So um, I just I want to include that in the visioning of it is if we're going to be retrofitting buildings um, and making them into low, low income housing that we look at maybe, you know, putting even just a small grocery store or something like that, having it so that it's zoned appropriately to do that. And I know zoning was something um, that's come up quite a bit. So maybe that's something that needs to be reviewed in order to facilitate the uh, into some of these um, multi-unit
1: and
5: multi-use buildings. Thank you. And Elaine. Thank you. uh, Obviously, um, retrofit is the way to go, if it's feasible to retrofit the building, of course. I think it's kind of lamentable that people maybe watch council meetings and don't go to PAC meetings, which they're able to, because at the PAC meeting issues like this and specific building properties get discussed, and that's where you see the cost benefit analysis actually played out in real time. And when it comes to the council meeting, all these items, for example, the grants we've approved and the permits we've given, they're given through the consent items, which aren't read out. So people aren't aware of the good work that is being done in issue, in issue you know, on this issue already. And certainly it's wonderful to see some of these old schools like St. Gabriel's, apparently they're working on it right now. Sacred Heart is <clears throat> undergoing renovations. It's been a subject of PAC meetings for uh, a couple of months now. So all great ideas and the work is going on for sure. You know, the kind of intensification that you get uh, with renovating a building, it just pours more people into those neighborhoods who are able to support the businesses in those neighborhoods, rather than letting them uh, eat up green space on the uh, outskirts of the city. So for sure, renovations of the building is at all salvageable.
1: Thank you so much. All right, guys. Well, uh, time flies when you're having fun. Um, I have a turkey to go and start, so <laughs> I want to thank you for being with us today and uh, to let us get to know you a little better. And um, well, uh, good luck uh, in the next elections. I don't know if I'm allowed to say good luck or if it's break a leg in <laughs> politics, but whatever. <laughs> have a great thanks Thanksgiving and thank you for coming. Thank,
0: thank you. Thank you yours. Yours. Thanks thank
5: you for the opportunity. Great. Bye. 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 Good luck, everybody.
1: All right, I'm going to
0: remove. Okay, so it's 11.03. Yeah, that went on for quite a while. I mm-hmm. did have one question because I really want to know why the each individual thinks they should be good for the job and why we should vote for them, but we didn't have time to ask that one. So.
1: No, there's not enough time. An hour is uh, too short. It flies it by is. and I, you know, I prioritize the uh, questions from the audience. Well, as that's as well, so. the important ones. It, yeah.
0: And it was nice to see so many people taking part. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So I just want to say that we are having some more uh, council candidates on the show next week, on the 17th, right?
1: we do and um we might have a a, another one that might take place that night because some of the um, candidates could not be there on a monday morning so uh, to accommodate i'm trying to set up uh, maybe an evening uh, maybe monday evening um one with the, the the remainder of uh the people and then if not well it is what it is and then on tuesday
0: okay. is it tuesday the 18th yeah, tuesday the 18th we've got the mayoral debate in yes. the evening from seven to nine i don't want to call it a debate it's not really well, like ours ours is more so a informal.
1: yeah it's yeah a chat much more informal and i might just ask them you know what kind of ice cream do you like and <laughs> <laughs> it <laughs> yeah. might be very light but anyways um so that's it uh, uh there's no time unfortunately to uh, tell you about the events there is the labor um council is it the labor council it is the labor council <laughs> event on wednesday the this
0: wednesday.
1: wednesday uh oh, labor wow. council debate is happening on the 12th which is wednesday wednesday and we will be live streaming that one. So uh, you can watch it on our uh, social media channels, whether it's YouTube or um, Facebook or even Twitter, we're all over the place. So um, watch for that one on Wednesday. All right, that's all for us. Have a great day guys.
0: And have a super duper week. See you next week. Bye.